Thank you for joining us as we elevate the Black entrepreneur experience by interviewing CEOs, thought leaders, innovative thinkers, and Black entrepreneurs across the globe. I'm your host, Dr. Frances Richards. Our next guest manages the organization Economic Empowerment Institute. He helps women and communities of color to develop entrepreneurship, attract investment, and close the wealth gap, all aimed at eliminating racism in the U.S. Welcome, Robert Johnson. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Given our audience such bio, why don't you fill in the gaps and share with our audience what you'd like them to know about you and the work that you're doing? Sure. Um, my name is Robert Johnson. I'm the Chief Economic Inclusion Officer and General Counsel for the YWCA Metropolitan Chicago. Um, I essentially I describe myself as a lawpreneur. Um, I stand at the sort of the intersection between law and business. Um, the YWCA's mission is to eliminate racism, empower women, promote peace, justice, dignum, and dignity and freedom for all. And uh, so my particular responsibility is to work to close the racial wealth gap. So I oversee our Economic Empowerment Institute, which is, is focused on that uh, as a way to eliminate racism. Um, the racial wealth gap for those of your listeners who, who may know uh, Dr. Francis, uh, right now, uh, white families have approximately about 10 times the wealth of black families in the United States. Uh, and Hispanic and uh, Asian families are, are roughly uh, around the same. And the wealth gap is really comprised of three primary components. Um, about 16% of it is as a result of lack of access to high growth, high demand jobs. About 32% of it as a, the result of lack of access to affordable homes and appreciating neighborhoods. And about 50% of it is as a result of lack of scalable, saleable businesses. So at the YWCA, we've devised our Thrive 2025 campaign to tackle the racial wealth gap. So by 2025, we're trying to get 1,000 people into high growth, high demand jobs, uh, get 1,000 people into affordable homes and appreciating neighborhoods and launch or fund a thousand scalable, saleable businesses. So that's really the work uh, of our Economic Empowerment Institute is to try to take individuals from surviving to thriving to what we call catalyzing, where they become catalysts of change, not only in their lives, but in the communities that they serve. When we think of the YMCA, we basically think of um, exercise, boys and girls club. Um, I don't think that most of us think about Economic Empowerment Institute. Now, is this nationwide or is it only in Chicago? You're on mute. Did you hear the question, Robert, or do you need me to repeat it? If you could repeat it, sorry, there's another call trying to come in, so it muted you. About um, the YMCA, most of us think about, um, you know, exercise or either Boys or Girls Club. We don't think about Economic Empowerment Institute. Is that something that is nationwide or is is it only indicative of Chicago? 
Oh, great question. So, I mean, we're the YWCA. Um, so most people do think about uh, probably are more familiar with the YMCA. Um, they're sort of the swims and gyms. Uh, the YWCA is more focused on um, programs um, that really uh, uplift women. Um, so we have three divisions. In fact, uh, mine is one, the Economic Empowerment Institute. But in addition, we also have uh, our early child uh, care uh, division that focuses on, um, in our particular instance, probably about three or 4,000 early child care providers uh, in the Chicagoland area. And then we have our safety and wellness division. Um, we're actually the largest uh, provider of uh, um, um, sexual uh, and domestic violence uh, counseling. We run the largest domestic uh, counsel violence counseling hotline in the state. And then, as I mentioned, our Economic Empowerment Institute, which is focused on closing the racial wealth gap. So all YWCAs, I think there are approximately about 200 of them across the United States. All of them don't have the same focus um, economic, uh, as of economic empowerment, but most of them, if not all of them, have the other two components. But we are unique, uh, one of the Ys that is uniquely focused on uh, creating solutions to the racial wealth gap. And I, I would argue uh, one of the more innovative YWCAs as it relates to uh, our efforts to close the racial wealth gap. And talk about your journey. How did you end up there at the YWCA? Oh, wow. Sure. So, uh, Dr. Francis, I, I took sort of a circuitous route. I've been a, a, a lawpreneur for probably the last 30 years or so. I've uh, been a, a lawyer for 30 years, been an entrepreneur for uh, probably um, a, a lot longer than that, let's put it that way. I've been a serial entrepreneur probably since about the age of 12. But I've always been focused on trying to help create wealth for Black people and, and women. Um, so even prior to joining the Y about two years ago, that's what I was doing. I have a management consulting firm called the Solomon Group that is focused on raising capital, uh, helping um, minority and women entrepreneurs grow and scale. And I ran into a, a good friend of mine who was the then CEO of the YWCA, uh, of all things, to talk about cannabis and social equity, um, which is another avenue that I play very heavily in. Um, because again, it is one of the ways that uh, we're trying to create wealth for African-Americans and, and, and create a more inclusive industry. And went to lunch with the then CEO of the YWCA and ended up walking out with, with a job as the uh, Chief Economic Inclusion Officer and General Counsel for the YWCA. And it was just really uh, a carry forward of the work that I had been doing and doing it on, on a larger platform. I tell you, when I read your bio and hear your story, it really excites me because we have very similar um you know, uh, there's a there's a synergy going on because that is the whole purpose of Black Entrepreneur Experience podcast is to mitigate the wealth gap. And you talked about that a little bit, and I want you to expound a little bit deeper in terms of and the statistics that you quoted. Uh, very familiar with those. Um, what do you think is the real solution? to this wealth gap and what can we do um, to actually mitigate it? Well, entrepreneurship is the key. Um, 
you know, creating scalable, saleable businesses in our community. You know, there was a recent Urban Institute study that just came out um, about two months ago that talked about the need for black businesses in the Chicagoland area. Black folks make up approximately 17% of the population in the Chicagoland area, but only 2% of the businesses. So roughly about 2,100 businesses in the Chicagoland area are black owned. But in order to uh, match uh, the percentage of our population, we need another 37,000 plus black businesses in the Chicagoland area. Um, so that's a, an enormous retail gap, an enormous opportunity gap that exists in our communities. Of the 3.7 million black businesses that exist um, nationwide, 96% of them are solopreneurs. Um, so we really need to create scalable, saleable businesses uh, and get folks from a side hustle to an actual enterprise that, that can grow, scale, attract capital, and ultimately um, create a liquidity event for the owner. Most of our entrepreneurs have never heard of a liquidity event and don't realize that the way that you create wealth is through selling your business. But we aren't able to grow our business uh, to the point where they are scalable and saleable and can be um, reseeded back into our commercial corridors to create jobs and then ultimately create an exit uh, for that owner. We're developing a model that we call the social determinants of wealth I should say we have developed a model that we call the social determinants of wealth in conjunction with Northwestern University that looks at how you rapidly transform our underserved communities through uh, M&A and socially responsible franchising and taking uh, a look at the commercial corridors that exist in our community and developed a plan to receive them with black businesses to help create communities where people can live, work, play and pray. And what can we do to support um, what you're doing there in Chicago? We need any and everybody who is interested in supporting Black community, uh, Black wealth creation, to uh, become a part of our Thrive 2025 campaign. If you're looking for a good job and a high growth, high demand uh, career, um, which are the areas of manufacturing, construction, IT, and uh, green tech, um, we have jobs for you. If you're looking to buy a home, uh, we have uh, programs to help you get down payment assistance, uh, mortgage assistance. Uh, we, we provide counseling for those who are looking to purchase a home or even or if you purchased a home, post-purchase counseling. And then if you're looking to start a business or if you have an existing business that you're looking to grow, we want you to be a part of our Thrive 2025 campaign so that we can create wealth within our communities and close the racial wealth gap. Robert, there are so many brands and businesses that are dominating. Name a brand or a business that's dominating that you admire and why. Well, I'm a big admirer of our local brands. Um, you know, there's folks often look to the national chains and, you know, the Chick-fil-A's and the McDonald's. Um, but I'm, a, I'm more interested in the emerging brands uh, that are out there that are, are, are gaining traction. Um, some black owned businesses. Um, we have just launched a cohort with 10 um, black uh, women entrepreneurs who have been around for uh, uh, on an average 10, 15 years. So you have Michelle uh, Foods, 
uh, is a brand uh, that you can go to your local grocery store. Uh, she sells syrup. Um, she is a, a brand that is not necessarily a household name, but once you taste the product, it will be. Um, you got a uh, Hammer and Nails franchise that's doing exceptionally well. Um, Namaste. You have uh, Surf's Up that's doing exceptionally well. Just Turkey, Sip and Savor. These are all black brands um, that are doing exceptionally well. Shall We Wine? Um, so there's a number of brands that uh, I'm ex ex excited about their trajectory. Uh, we have some fine dining uh uh, restaurants uh, in the Chicago, Virtue being one of them. So I think there's ample opportunity for us to support the growing and emerging field of Black entrepreneurs and help them uh, become the next billion-dollar brand because that's really what we're focused on. Uh, we launched our Breed Love Center for Entrepreneurship that's focused on, in particular, later-stage women of color entrepreneurs, and we're looking to build uh, the next billion-dollar brand out of the Breed Love Center for Entrepreneurship. What problem exists in the world today that you like to solve? Access to capital. That's the number one issue that, that I think still besieges uh, entrepreneurs in, in, in general and Black entrepreneurs in particular, and, ex, and especially uh, Black women entrepreneurs. Um, it is the, the, the business version of redlining, where there are folks who... Uh, don't look like us that are able to get loans. They're able to uh, get seed capital either from friends or family or through uh, angel investors, but that still remains an elusive opportunity uh, for our folks to be able to get access to capital. We, you know, are often told that we need to bootstrap our businesses like other entrepreneurs. Well, most of us don't have boots. You know, we, we all we have is feet and we're, we're trying to feet strap uh, or footstrap our businesses, and it's just not a sustainable model because it can't. Our businesses can't withstand the economic shocks of any uh, bump that a typical business will encounter, and they can't scale. Um, there's research that that demonstrates that when you start at a lower uh, investment, um, initial investment from whether it be friends or family or or any outside source, then the the growth trajectory of your business is going to be stunted, even if you get in capital at a later stage. If you don't get that initial capital to start your business, it, it, uh, it limits your, your growth curve. So we need to free up the capital markets um, for our businesses. Uh, we have all of these companies that are indicating that they want to support Black businesses in the tunes of billions of dollars, but those spigots, from what I can see, have not turned on yet. Uh, they have great commercials and great uh, post-George Floyd um, proclamations, um, but I haven't seen uh, them make them move any significant commas to the community. And we have a question from the audience, and um, Robert, and I don't know if you want to answer it, and I can also. Um, a Mace had a question, and she wanted to know, what's a Black entrepreneur? Uh, my definition of a black entrepreneur is any any person of color that, that starts a business, um, whether or not they are uh, doing it as a side hustle, 
if they're doing it as a segue out of their nine to five, uh, which is something that I strongly encourage for those who are looking to jump into entrepreneurship is that you uh, start make, start planning your exit before you quit. Um, so the definition is pretty broad. I mean, I started as an entrepreneur at the age of uh, 11 or 12. Um, so um, I, I would argue that anybody who is earning income uh, on their own volition and through their own uh, skill and craft is a, is a black entrepreneur. Um, I also would expand that definition because I talk about social entrepreneurs and the definition of social entrepreneurs typically is, uh, if you look at the textbook definition, is somebody who starts a, a business with some type of social aim, like to, you know, clean the environment or to plant trees or do something along those lines. But to me, um, all black entrepreneurs, all women entrepreneurs are social entrepreneurs from the standpoint of a very broad definition that I have is that by virtue of you helping at least one person of color or one woman, you are by definition a social entrepreneur. So uh, the two terms are, are somewhat intertwined with me. Um, if you decide that your business has some other social component that it wants to do, then that's that's an additive, but, it, but, but you're still a social entrepreneur by virtue of the fact that you're helping at least one person of color, at least one woman, and nine times out of 10, when we start businesses, it is because we've identified a need or necessity that hasn't, or an area that hasn't been met that our business is designed to try to address. Dr. Francis, are you still there? Yes. Uh, thank you so much for that, Robert. Thanks for joining. And if anyone has a question, feel free to let us know and we will definitely um, answer your question. Robert, I've heard a statement about your why should make you cry. Why do you do what you do? I couldn't agree more. Um because I don't believe, I mean, as Simon Sinek says, I believe people don't buy what you do or how you do it, they buy why you do it. Um, and your why has to be inspiring because the two most important days of your life, the first day is the day that you're born and the second day is the day that you discover your purpose or your why. So that is what your reason for being is, what, what motivates you, what gets you up out of, the, out of the bed in the morning and what brings you joy. Um, and if you can center upon that, uh, then you will leave this world a greater place than you found it. So your wife should make you cry because it should be inspiring not only to you but to others so that it's a rallying cry um, to be a beacon for change. Um, I do believe that we're all stewards of humanity, that we are a brother's keeper, uh, that we are responsible for, for each other. Um, a steward is somebody who's been left with something of value for their care until somebody returns to get it. Uh, and I believe that we are each other's uh, stewards, that we these relationships don't belong to us. They were given to us by God to uh, take care of and to nurture. Um, and unfortunately, we aren't doing a great job as humans um, in terms of stewarding the relationships we have with each other. We're also stewards of these of this planet. 
we're supposed to be caretakers of this planet. And I would argue that we aren't doing that great of a job of that either. So um, find a why that can compel you to be better, the best version of yourself, so that you can bring out the best in others. Advice you wish you had followed? Um, the advice that I wish I had followed younger, which I've gotten much better at now because I'm, I'm a man of a certain age now, uh, is f given from Shakespeare, um, above all others to thine own self be true. I think that was Shakespeare. Um, or better yet, more contemporary Malcolm X. Um, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. Um, and I think as you're younger and as you're trying to navigate your way through life and society, you're presented with choices and options that always, that they may look good, they may be shiny, but they may not in the long run be the best interest for you or the best interest for what it is that you're trying to accomplish, particularly as it relates to your why. So um, always follow your North Star and don't be influenced by others. Because the vision that you have is given to you, no one else can see it. That's why it's called your vision. So. Once you develop that vision, lock onto it and, and don't be dissuaded even when things get tough. Robert, fill in the gap. Thank you, Pandemic Because. Thank you, Pandemic, because I think it has allowed a lot of us to refocus and identify what is important and what's, what's um, superficial. Um, and you can realize, you, I think we've all realized what we need to pivot, both personally and professionally, where we needed to make adjustments to have a simpler, more fulfilling life. Um, I, think it, I think it has also caused us to refocus um, on what's important from a community standpoint and shown the vulnerabilities that exist in our community. So I think it's been an eye opener for some people um, from the standpoint that it has shown the true level of disparities that exist in our community and allowed uh, folks who were prone to make excuses not to have that ability to make excuses anymore about how much there is, uh, how much the disparity, how much of the disparity that exists in our communities. Robert, if you lost everything and you had to rebuild in 30 days, what industry and why? Um, I think I would look at those emerging industries where we don't play. I always like looking at the white space. Um, and, and as a people, we aren't playing in the, in the metaverse space. Uh, we have a very limited uh, um, presence in the cannabis space and, uh, and, then, and then in the crypto space. So if, if those were the, if that was the situation that would befall me, I would look at those three industries as where I could find an entry point um, to, to rapidly rebuild and rebrand uh, and reinvent myself because I think there's an opportunity to create um, enormous wealth because all of those industries are still for the most part unregulated and still have tremendous upside and you can still be um, not only a pioneer 
but a leader in these industries like right now because they're being developed as we speak. It's interesting that um, you mentioned about the cannabis space because I've interviewed several um, Black entrepreneurs that have tried to play in that space. And just the entrance in, when you talked about the access to capital, um, it has been a little bit challenging to enter in. Um, do you have any advice in terms of entering in at a, um, a level that would give them an even playing field or an, an ability to really scale? Absolutely. I mean, I think the issue that most people encounter in the cannabis space is that everybody went for the shiny gold object. Um, they went for the Willy Wonka ticket, and that is a dispensary license. That's where you, that's the most capital intensive aspect of cannabis and the most limiting uh, from the standpoint that it's illegal, um, it's highly, uh, is highly capital intensive, and there's only a limited amount of licenses that are going to be issued. The greater opportunity is in the ancillary space. That's unlimited and, and it's legal. Um, and, there, and there's capital for that um, because it's, just like any other business, it's it's a business. If, it, if you're a lawyer, if you're an accountant, if you're in marketing, if you do events, whatever you do or whatever you have a passion for, you can do that in the cannabis space without having to have all the, the, the $4 million minimum that you need to open up a dispensary. Um, just like in the gold rush, the people who got rich were not the people who, who mined for gold, but the people who sold picks and shovels. So uh, look at the ancillary businesses as an opportunity to reinvent yourself. And can you talk a little bit about um, the metaverse space and what your recommendation would be there? I mean, to begin to educate yourself in that space, because again, it's emerging, it's unregulated. Um, it is on the cutting edge of what folks are doing. So understand what NFTs are. Uh, if you like real estate, if you look at um, potentially investing in real estate in the, in the, in the metaverse, uh, understand um, where the trends are, um, who the influences are, what the platforms are. Begin to educate yourself because it is, a, it is going to be uh, the wave of the future. I shouldn't say the wave of the future is already here. And I believe that uh, Black folks have a better opportunity to, to be successful and do well in the metaverse than they probably have in, the, in this universe, given the, the, the history that we've seen here in the United States. I think there's an opportunity for us to play because we are the trend makers. We are the trendsetters. So whatever we make hot, it's hot everywhere. Um, if you see some of the biggest players in the metaverse, they're black people, you know, Snoop and a whole bunch of other, you know, rappers and other folks. So all of the stuff that you can do in this real world, you can do in the metaverse um, without having some of the same barriers to entry. All you need is, is a computer and, and know how to get, in, get access. So, um, again, just like in the uh, cannabis space, look for opportunities to expand, extend what you do now or what you want to do or you're passionate about into the metaverse. Let's talk about risk. Talk about your mo your worst moment in business and what was your takeaway? Uh, I mean, the worst moment in, in business is a business failure. I've had a business fail 
and I and I have to go back and look and do a postmortem on why it failed. Um, and it was because I I wasn't passionate about it. To be honest with you, uh, it was something that sounded like something that I I wasn't passionate about it, and my passion was further diminished by not understanding the business cycle, how long it takes to get paid, and how long it took for deals to get closed, um, and having partners and not picking partners wisely. So uh, what it what it shared, what it shone, shone light on for me was one, do stay in your lane, do focus on what you are passionate about, um, and there's no such thing as a passive investment. Um, you you have to work it. Um, so if you're not prepared to work it, and if you don't have the the, the love to make you want to work it, it's not going to be successful. Um, and if you're going to engage in a partnership, make sure that the partners have complementary skills and they're not um, adding on what it is that you bring. Uh, they need to bring a different set of skills and you need to have that real conversation with them about that. And if they aren't bringing it, then you need to cut them uh, and you need to, uh, if the business is failing, let, let it fail as fast as possible and don't try to drag it out thinking that you can resuscitate it. When you, when I get, when there's got to be a go, no go decision and you got to be able to determine what that looks like. What's the go, no go. And once you reach that, whether it's go or no go, you got to stick to it. Again, we want to thank our listeners for joining us on Black Entrepreneur Experience Podcast Live. And if they have a question for myself or Robert Johnson, don't hesitate to let us know. Robert, what is the one thing that you are doing that is impacting people's lives? Well, I think Thrive 25, the campaign that I launched uh, a short while ago, is, is, is a game changer for our community. Uh, I think that it has the not only the potential, but the strategy behind it to significantly impact the lives of not just individuals, but the communities in which we serve. It is truly something that um, is innovative, is creative, and is bespoke to the needs of our community. Uh, I'm taking Wall Street principles and bringing them to MLK. Um, it's not uh, taking models that aren't that aren't designed for us and trying to jam them into the community, but taking models that have been successful in other communities and transfiguring them so that they work in our community and for our people. And for those that are interested in supporting Thrive 25, can you give them the um, information of how they should connect and support? Sure. They can email me directly at robert.johnson at ywcachicago.org um, or they can go to ywcachicago.org website and, and get additional information about all of our programs. Um, and then we also offer a course um, called Decisions, Decisions that talks about the eight decisions that you've got to get right in life in order to be successful. Um, so um, they can also sign up for uh, the, the, the next course uh, um, in the Decisions module through our, web, our website as well. And just to clarify that, if they're not in, in the Chicago area, they still can sign up for Decisions Decisions? Absolutely. I mean, or is I'm, that I'm, only for Chicago? 
No, you're, all of our programs, um, particularly since we do a lot of stuff virtually now because of the pandemic, which is the other thing that I'm thankful for, I forgot to mention that, is that we've been able to expand our reach because everybody is comfortable now doing things remotely. Uh, so um, uh, while, while I cite a lot of Chicago stats and, and have a, a heavy emphasis on Chicago because that's where we're headquartered, we're interested in helping anybody, anywhere, um, at any time. Robert, if you could spend time with one person, living or not, who who would you have dinner with or what conversation would you be having and naming this person? Um, if they were, if I had an opportunity to, to spend time with uh, individuals who were, who were passed on or resting in power, I would love to uh, have a, a, a dinner chat with, with Miles Davis and Malcolm X. I think that would be that, that those two individuals speak to the duality of my soul, the artist and the activist. Um, and then uh, the, the person that's alive, I would be very interested in uh, having dinner uh, with Elon Musk um, because of his bold, visionary approach and how he's, I would say him and Richard Branson are the two entrepreneurs that have uh, catapulted, catapulted themselves into spaces where, literally space, into spaces where nobody thought were, were possible and that they taught, taught them taught themselves how to do it because nobody else had done it before. And literally, Elon read a book on space travel and decided he's going to start a, a company and did it. Um, so uh, that kind of bold, visionary um, belief in themselves, I, I would love to, to, to get a piece of that. Let's look over the last 30 days and what was your biggest win? Um, the last 30 days, the biggest win uh, was two, um, and both of them were funding for our, our Breed Love Center for Entrepreneurship. Um, we got a generous $200,000 seed investment from William Blair and another $100,000 for the Coleman, from the Coleman Foundation to directly support our support of Black women entrepreneurs. And I would also add, got the um, support of the foremost brand expert in the country, uh, to help to help come on board um, to help us build the next billion dollar breed love brand. So it was it's been a good good last thirty days. And how do you celebrate the the wins? Um, I celebrate wins and losses, but I celebrate the wins. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a bourbon guy, so uh, Uncle Nears is uh, is my friend. Um, so whenever I win, he wins. Could you have a, you muted, we only heard part of it. Oh, I'm sorry. I said I, I celebrate the wins and losses. So, but uh, I'm a bourbon guy. So I love Uncle Nearest. So whenever I win, he wins. And uh, Uncle Nearest is a black owned bourbon, one of the best bourbons out there um, for all your listeners. Thank you for sharing that. What inspires you to keep going? Um, I think about the folks that came before me um, and the things that they've endured just to get us to the point where I can talk about all of the stuff that I have the opportunity and that you've given me the platform to discuss. Um, you know, we've been, we've gone from property um, in this country to 
the potential to create wealth. I mean, we were a form of wealth for other people and now we're trying to create wealth for ourselves. So that journey has been long. Um, it feels like, but in the arc of time, it hasn't been that long um, and we're making strides. So I hope that the folks who were dragged over here in the hulls of boats uh, now can see that we're trying to position ourselves where we can um, be masters of our own destiny and, and, and creators of our own fate. Um, and I, I think they will expect no less of us um, because too much is given, much is required. And although we still may feel like we don't have much relative to um, our white counterparts, we have much opportunity and we have, you know, the, the thing that I'm talking to you on, on now, this, this cell phone is the most important piece of technology to the entrepreneurial community in the last hundred years. Um, anybody can become an entrepreneur with just this device. What have you not done in life that you dream about often that you would like to do? I have a very simple dream. I want to travel the world. I want to uh, follow the sun around the world and never be cold again. So that's what I'm focused on is creating the platform for me to be able to do that. That's what success looks like for me when I can pick up and look at the weather in uh, Maldives and say it's going to be, you know, eight, uh, like 75 to 80 degrees and sunny for the next 60 days. Well, that's where I'm going and still be able to impact people from, from that platform. Robert, talk to a younger you. What advice would you give to a younger Robert? The advice I would give to a younger Robert is to uh, live fearlessly, uh, love tirelessly, and engage uh, true friends relentlessly. Um, I think we take all of those things far too for granted, um, understanding the importance of each of those. Um, you know, I, there's three things that I, I try to live by, live well, love well, and lead well. So um, if I were to go back, I would have better definitions and better strategies around each one of those areas. Someone is listening to this interview and they, we talked about at the top of the interview about access to capital. What advice if someone is looking to scale their business and or start a business, what advice would you give them for access to capital? One of the things I would encourage folks, I mean, most entrepreneurs think by having a, a bank account that they have a, a relationship with a bank. No, you just have a bank account. First start understanding what it means to have a relationship with a bank and then make sure that your books are in order. Most folks uh, don't keep accurate records. Even if you're a solopreneur, you know, um, start making sure that you separate you from your business, that you have a separate business account that you have um, a business credit card. And if you have bad credit or are unbanked, uh, we launched a respect card, which is a prepaid uh, debit card to allow folks to get a bank account uh, and a bill credit that's not tied to their, uh, uh, that you can use a timely uh, 
you know, rent payments. Um, if you're a renter to, to build credit and we're launching a small business version of that um, in next quarter so that you can build business credit that's not tied to your social security number, but tied to your business EIN. But the first thing that you got to do is there's five things that every entrepreneur has to do in order to really consider themselves an entrepreneur. You got to have a legal entity. I recommend an LLC, an EIN, a bank account, business bank account, which you can't get unless you have a legal entity and an EIN. You need a landing page for your business and at least a skinny one-page, two, three-page business plan. Those five things are necessary for you to even begin to start talking about how you're going to uh, get access to capital. Um, and then we can work with you through our Small Business Development Center to help you develop the other tools that you need in order to get access to capital, which is uh, what I call projections and a performer to be able to show how your idea is going to work, how, what the capital that's required, and more importantly, how the capital is going to be deployed to pay people back. Again, we want to thank our listeners for joining. And if anyone has a question, don't hesitate to let us know. What would you say is the three truths you have learned in life or business for Robert? Um, the three truths that I learned in life is usually things aren't as bad as they seem. Um, Worry is not going to solve your problems and um, believe in yourself. Otherwise, no one else will. What would you recommend and why? I'm sorry, say that again. What book would you recommend and why? Oh, one of my favorite books that I recommend to everyone it's called The Richest Man in Babylon. It is a time-honored um, book that has the most fundamental principles on how to manage money and create wealth. It's a, probably about a five or $6 book that you can get off Amazon and it'll be here tomorrow or the next day. And it's life-changing and you can read it in, in one sitting. Um, and it begins to develop the foundation for understanding how money works and how to create wealth. When it's all said and done, how do you want to be remembered? Uh, when it's all said and done, I hope that uh, um, folks can look at my life and say that uh, I made a difference by being here. You know, the uh, I got roughly about 11,000 days left to live, best case scenario. So um, I've always tried to live my life backwards and understand that, you know, again, the, 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 the space between the dash, the, the time, the day that you're born and the day that you ultimately expire, those are the days that, that will precede you in the afterlife in terms of how you remember. So I hope that I am somebody who has made a difference my why is to try to make a million leaders before I die. So I hope that I can get as close to that as possible. Robert, if you conducted the interview, what is the one question you would have asked your you to ask the question? 
Well, one of the things that I would have asked myself is, uh, how do you get started? Because I think that's what keeps most people stuck. Uh, most people think, you know, because I'm a lawyer or because, you know, I've been around for a little while, um, that they may not see themselves um, there or may not think that this is something that's a possibility for them. And I would tell them, I grew up in Fort Heights, and for those listeners who are familiar with Chicago, Fort Heights is a suburb of Chicago. Um, it has the dubious distinction of being labeled the poorest suburb in the nation. Um, and so I didn't grow up with uh, a lot of the resources that a lot of people have, white or black. So, um, but what I did have was an abiding belief in myself, um, a, a relatively uh, stable support network, um, and my superpower, which I got from that book that I just described, The Richest Man in Babylon. One of them is uh, one of the principles articulated in that book is to make hard work your friend. And while I never thought I was the smartest or the best or the brightest or whatever, I always thought that I could outwork the person next to me. And that was my superpower until I didn't need it anymore, that I, that I was the smartest and the brightest and the best until I believed that. Um, but I didn't believe that at first, but I did believe that I know how to work. Um, so regardless of what you believe about yourself, if you believe that you're willing to put in the work and you actually put in the work, then you can change your belief and the belief of others about you and you can then change the trajectory of your future. And I'm on the website for the YWCA. And just for our listeners, if they're interested in that course, and you mentioned it's virtual, they should go to the Breed Love Entrepreneur Entrepreneurship Center for that. Um, uh, they can uh, email me if it's not, if they can't find the decisions, decisions. If that's the one that you're talking about, it should be on the website, but I haven't looked at it in a while. So it may be a little bit uh, difficult to, it may not jump right out at you so that I can get them connected with the folks. And if they're interested in enrolling in our next cohort for the Breed Love Center for Entrepreneurship, again, email me as well and we can get them the application for the next cohort coming up um, and or connect them into our Small Business Development Center, which is also free uh, to help them at, at, uh, develop their business um, idea or plan. And then we also have a special emphasis on franchising as well, too. So if they're interested in finding out about what franchise opportunities are available uh, or interested in franchising their business, we can we can assist with that as well. So your cohorts, when do they, how long do they last and when do they start? Did you hear the question, Robert? Oh, I'm sorry. I, hit, I was still on mute. Yes. Um, so the uh, we run three cohorts a year for the Breed Love Center for Entrepreneurship. Um, they last about 10 weeks. Uh, we're in the eighth or ninth week of this current cohort, so it'll be wrapping up, and graduation is on May 13th. And then we'll be launching another one um, um, probably around September-ish. As the summer, we, we take off. Uh, for the cohorts, um, but the entrepreneurship, uh, center, I mean, sorry, the Small Business Development Center holds classes every month. And then uh, also our franchising uh, 
classes every month. And uh, we have what we call our Empowerment Collaborative, which focuses on develop, uh, showing folks how to develop the back office for their businesses so that they can help them scale and grow, which is you know, your accounting, your marketing, your uh, operations, finance, that kind of stuff. The courses that they offer on the Small Business Development Center to the summer, are those virtual? Yes, those are virtual. Uh, we do one-on-one -on -one coaching, okay. and then we also have group classes as, as well. Okay. Thank you so much. Robert, thank you so much for joining us on Black Entrepreneur Experience Podcast. Before we let you go, why don't you share with our audience the best way for them to connect with you and to do business support? Uh, the best way to connect with me is, uh, as I said, my webs uh, through, through my email, uh, robert.johnson at ywcachicago.org. Again, that's robert.johnson at ywcachicago.org or uh, via phone, 312-925-4579, 312-925-4579. And Dr. Francis, I just want to thank you uh, for all the work that you're doing to highlight and uplift and promote Black entrepreneurship. It is um, the key to the transformation of our community. Uh, it is a key to opportunity, and it is a key to create wealth in our community. Uh, we were entrepreneurs, um, and unfortunately, I think the image of entrepreneurs has uh, been sort of um, displayed in a way that is not reflective of, of who we are as a people. You know, you don't have to be a Mark Zuckerberg or Elon Musk or create these, you know, billion-dollar tech companies to be an entrepreneur. You know, I was raised by two domestics, you know, two, my, my grandmother and mother cleaned white people's houses. They were entrepreneurs. But I didn't even realize that or think about them in that vein until I was in my 30s or 40s. But that's how they supported our family. Uh, they never worked for anyone. So uh, they always worked for themselves. So uh, we need to redefine what entrepreneurship uh, is. So I, I, I applaud the question that was asked earlier in terms of what is a black entrepreneur. A black entrepreneur is all of your listeners, anybody who's interested in providing a good or service to the community, um, from my vantage point, is an entrepreneur. And I wish them well. And I'm here to help them in any way that I can. Robert, thank you so much. And I definitely would like to have a um, conversation with you um, offline. So I will connect with you via email when I do have the number and I'll reach out and text and set up a time for us to talk. Excellent. Well, thank you, Dr. Francis. I look forward to it. And thank All you, right. listeners, as well. Thank you. That's a wrap.